Welcome to the Empire Podcast and this very special spoiler special podcast for The Last of Us Part 2, which is neither a movie nor a TV show, but rather a video game, making it the very first video game that we have deemed worthy of an Empire spoiler special podcast. However, this is no ordinary video game, as anyone I think who's played it can attest. So way back in 2013, when the original Last of Us came out, we were kind of floored by the quality of the storytelling in this game, I think more than any other game we'd ever played. So much so that we dubbed that the best film of the year that wasn't actually a film. Uh, and now seven years on, developer Naughty Dog has kind of pulled off a similar feat with The Last of Us Part Two, And because of that, and not in any way, because we all now exist in a post-outbreak wasteland where deadly clickers roam the Isles of Morrisons, we've decided to take the next hour or so to dive beneath the surface of the game, talk about its themes, its story beats, and its somewhat divisive impact on fans, all with a little help from director Neil Druckmann. Now, I can only assume that if you're listening to this, then you've already played through the game. Uh, and if that's not the case and you don't want it spoiled, then you should really stop listening now and go and fire up your PlayStation. This is a spoiler special podcast. There will be lots of plot twists revealed, lots of discussions of things that happen in the game. You have been warned. Now, as a special treat, I should point out, this particular spoiler special is appearing on our main podcast feed and not behind the paywall where our spoiler special archive usually resides. However, if you do enjoy this and you find yourself desperate for more, then you can subscribe to the Empire Spoiler Special podcast at glow.fm slash Empire Film, uh, where for a nominal monthly fee, you'll get access to our entire archive going back to 2012, plus a bare minimum of two new spoiler special podcasts every month, spanning new releases and even retro spoiler specials of classic films. But we are not here today to talk about a classic film, but rather a sure-to-be classic game. Uh, I'm James Dyer, and joining me to talk all things Cody Sepps today are two colleagues of such lethal cunning that they've both cut a swath through post-apocalyptic Seattle, leaving a trail of bloody corpses in their wakes. First up, a man who, and this is absolutely true, upon reaching the Santa Barbara sequence of the game, immediately texted me with the words, now I have a silenced submachine gun. Ho, ho. Oh, it's Ammon Warman. How are you, Ammon? I am good. I am good. And yes, I did. Easily my favorite weapon of the game. Love it. Well, look forward to New Game Plus when you can use it from the very beginning. I know. Believe me, I've been playing it and I have for the godsend. Uh, joining us also is a man who was taking his time savoring this game over weeks <laughs> until I demanded he play it all of last weekend so he could finish it in time for this podcast and quite possibly broke him in the process. It's Nick DeSemlin. Nick, have you recovered? No, I mean, it's been less than 48 hours since I finished, so I could burst into tears at any second. It's been happening <laughs> a lot. that effect on people? Yeah. My favourite weapon in this game is the flamethrower because it made me feel like Ripley, even though Ripley didn't do quite as much screaming while she was walking around. Absolute true story. I didn't use the flamethrower at any point in the first game. In this one I did. I used it on okay. the Rat King, which we'll talk about, about later. But in the first game, I'm one of those awful people where I'll hold all the shit and never ever use it in case I need it later. And then the game ends and I've got a completely full inventory full of shit. Uh, so I never used a single explosive arrow in my first playthrough. Not once. I you could have just once. Neither could have just blown up the farm. Flamethrown the farm. That's it. I should have killed Dina with it. Killed the scarecrow. Uh, <laughs> Uh, no, but my new game plus, I'm addressing this and I'm unleashing my arsenal on really everyone. So that is good. So, okay, fine. Before we get into this discussion, before we jump into The Last of Us Part 2, let's have a 
brief talk about the first game, uh, your memories of that, and what your expectations were going into this one. Amon. Yeah, the first game, it took me a while to actually play it. Like, I wasn't sort of part of the initial hype train uh, for that. Like, I think one of the reasons why I was excited to get the PS4 is that it came with The Last of Us Remastered. Mm. That's when I finally uh, played the game. I'd obviously, you know, heard about it. Um, you know, Twitter was all the buzz. The hype was very real at that point. Um, and it mostly lived up to it. The ending really hit me hard uh, in the best of ways. Um, it was very unexpected. It was very, very good. Um, so, yeah, my expectations for The Last of Us 2 were very high because of it. Um, all the trailers and the footage that had been released before the game looked really good. The visuals were amazing. The gameplay looked great. Um, and I, I, I obviously could not expect where the story would go in, uh, in this game. And it really, there's been no game that I've played which has elicited the emotional reactions that The Last of Us 2 did. Um, and I'm sure we're going to get into why uh, later on, but yeah. Yeah, so it's interesting that you came to this quite like Nick and I discussed this last year and the year before. Every time this game got delayed or it failed to come out or at E3, they didn't <laughs> announce a release date for it and we'd be like raging about it. And I think both of us said, and it's quite a bold thing to say, you know, for us, given that we are professional sort of film and TV critics, that we said at the time that, you know, keep your Star Wars, keep your Endgame, keep all <laughs> these various things. There was no single thing we were looking forward to more than The Last of Us Part 2. Obviously, it varied depending on the year, but there was a point where we'd be like, so this year, when this year started, I was like, The Last of Us Part 2 is my entertainment high point of this year. It is the thing I'm <laughs> looking forward to most. Is yeah. that fair, Nick? No, same for me. This is the entertainment event of the year, and it didn't disappoint, which is incredible, because my expectations were very high. But mm. I think I just have total faith in Naughty Dog at this point. I love everything they've done, frankly. I am, I believe the technical term is a Naughty Dogger. <laughs> no, that is. That, that, I, I immediately like retract that. I immediately retract that. But you know, I've played. I've played every Uncharted game multiple times. Uh, I've even played the the sort of slightly shit uh, PS Vita uh, one, Golden Abyss. Yes. I played the Last oh, wow. of Us uh, DLC <laughs> Left Behind, where you oh, basically you wander around a shopping mall for three hours. <laughs> um, I just much. think nobody does. Nobody does what they do. You know, Telltale Games. Uh, I know James, you're not a massive fan of that, but I quite liked. What they were doing with uh, with creating the worlds and the storytelling, especially their Walking Dead, yes, uh, kind of yes. games, and and making you make uncomfortable choices, which is what happens in The Last of Us a lot. Um, but I just think they're brilliant. They their world building, their their uh, sort of willingness to take risks with narratives, uh, their characters, uh, they're phenomenal. And um, this is their high point, which mm. I don't say lightly. I think this this game is incredible. But yeah, I played the first first one four times. Um, and I'll play it. I'll play it again because it's just an amazing ride. Yeah, I'm. I'm with you 100. I, I. I. The first game. I have many favorite games. I've been playing video games since 1980. Uh, before, in fact. Uh, so I have a long story history of playing basically all the games, and I have a number of favorites. I think of all of them. I think The Last of Us has been one. If people had said to me, "What is the best game you've ever played?" I would have said The Last of Us. And the reason I would have said that is not because it is, uh, you know, groundbreaking gameplay, and not because it's technically amazing. Although I think it's 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 very solid in both those areas. But I think what the last of us did for me is it elevated interactive storytelling to a completely different level like it you become very aware of uh, i think john carmack from id software used to say like uh 
plotting video games is like plotting a porn film. Everyone expects it, it kind of needs to be there, but it's really not why you turn up and no one's that bothered if it's good. And so many games take that, like the story just drives the action. And for the first time, I think with The Last of Us, is that this was a game entirely about story. It was a storytelling work of art. Uh, and I think one of the reasons that it works so well is unlike so many games, and I know, you know, whether it be open world or not, a lot of games give you choices. They give you agency. The Last of Us gave you none. And I think that was deliberate. They were like, this is a story we want to tell. This is how it plays out. You will enact this story for us, but have no illusions. This is the story we're telling, and these are the choices you will make. And they try to get you on board with the character, and they try and get you into the head of the character so that even if the character does things you wouldn't, you understand that they're genuine choices for that character. And I think in as a piece of storytelling, it is without peer in video games. And in terms of the emotions it elicits, like great art, whether it be film, TV, whatever it is, great art elicits an emotional response. And I have mm -hmm. never felt the way The Last of Us made me feel. Like, it destroyed me. The kind of thing where you just stare, and I did it with two as well, you stare at the credits for however long they play out, just, and you can't stop thinking about this game. It goes round and round your head. It's in your head all the time. You can't get it out of your head. Uh, and there was just something about this. It was a masterfully told... Well, right from uh, the start, right? Like game. the pr yeah. prologue, that opening sequence oh, in Austin. Goodness. Where yeah. it Absolutely. With, you know, you, you play as with the daughter first, right? Yeah, I yes, mean, it's, And it yeah. flips, and so right from the start, they established they're going to flip perspectives, they're going to make you feel stuff, get attached to people, and then, yeah. and when you say get attached to someone, you you play as them, and you yeah. get for hours, and you get so attached, and then suddenly they rip that away from you, and and it's it, it has a massive impact. People talk about how oh it's a video game, you know, but it's like no 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 because of the the control because you're interacting because you you become those characters i would argue that the you know emotional connection you have to the story is much more intense because you're a part of it and you're not just a, a bystander you're not just witnessing it and as you say like controlling sarah during that prologue and then her dying in joel's arms is just devastating absolutely and to make you feel that much grief that much trauma after having played a game for like 15 minutes mm. you know it's at the beginning of up do you know what i mean like to, to manipulate your emotions with so little time investment is is incredible an incredible piece of work and, to, and just the dialogue the exposition it's so well written that it never feels like they're spoon feeding you information it feels yeah. like it's coming out of character always so when the two so. of you walking around you're having actually really entertaining conversations but yeah. getting really attached to the, the characters it's, yeah. it's incredibly well done and as you mentioned yeah. left behind there's very little i mean there's some but there's not a lot of action left behind you have the two different timelines in that dlc where she's wandering around the one mall fighting hunters and then wandering around the other mall with uh with riley and but those story beats whether they're in the photo booth or telling jokes or throwing bricks at a car or playing on the carousel or, or going through the halloween shop and trying on masks those are as engaging if not more so than the actual action sequences and that is no small thing either. There's um there's a phenomenal game series. If you like uh, Last of Us, it hasn't got nearly as much action, but uh, Life is Strange, I'm a massive fan of as mm. well. And you play as a teenage girl in that uh, in the original series of that, but that's really worth checking out. It's brilliantly done. Yeah, it's also a very good game. I was just going to say that, that decisions coming out of character is a very important point because, as you say, Naughty Dog, they take risks and they make you do things that you don't necessarily want to do. The only way that works is if the decisions don't come out of nowhere and the decisions mm -hmm. are rooted in character. And yeah. that is what Last of Us and Last of Us 2 also does very well. Yeah, 100%. Like, Joel does some fucking heinous shit in the first game. But even if yeah. you're like, oh, I'm not sure I'd do that. And a lot of people are like, do you know what? I would do that in that extreme situation. But you believe by the end that Joel would have done it. Like, you you're like you know yeah. Joel well enough. He's a more rounded character and you know so much about his path. Uh, 
and his yeah. past and how he's got to where he is. Because it's a redemption story, isn't it? He loses his daughter. He loses his humanity. Everything about his life falls apart. And he spends 20 years sort of descending into this sort of spiral of darkness and becoming a frankly quite unpleasant person and then he gets shackled with this girl who has to take her across across america and bit by bit she chips away at his armor and he sl- and he, he doesn't want to let her in he's he's an asshole to her he tries to push her away he tries to offload her onto his brother and eventually eventually she manages to get through to him and he lets down his armor and she's his way back she brings him back to himself he finds himself again uh, and then obviously once he's got her he will do absolutely anything to keep her and he won't let anything happen to her see i just before this i went back and looked on youtube and rewatch the kind of the ending of the original film and it was mm. I was kind of shocked because it was so different to my memory of it. In my memory, you're playing as Joel and you're being really heroic and you know, saving her. But I went back and it's brutal. It's like he's shotgunning oh, yeah. doctors who are like <laughs> begging him not to but because it's built up so you because of the way the game builds up, that feels the, yeah. the right thing to do when you're there but I was kind of shocked out of context just going wow okay that's really fucking he looks but like the villain you know that speaks to the the whole essence of this game which we will get onto very very soon uh, <laughs> but uh, the whole essence of this game is it's not the actions themselves it's the way those actions are framed and I think the, the message of this game what it tries to teach you is human beings can justify any action at all as long as they are kind of almost morally primed to do so given, given the right context given the right excuse given the right reasoning they can do all kinds of heinous shit uh whether that be murdering doctors or whatever. But, 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 but let's jump into The Last of Us Part 2, for that is what we're here to talk about. But before we wade in, let's hear from someone with a far better perspective than we have. I refer, of course, to Naughty Dog's Neil Druckmann, the co-creator of The Last of Us Part 1, and the director and co-writer of Part 2 alongside Hallie Gross. Uh, Neil stopped by the podcast to share some of the secrets behind the decisions he made while creating this game. Uh, so without further ado, let's hear from him. Neil, welcome to the Empire Podcast. Let's start right in the thick of it, I think, for this. So you put people through the ringer as they play this game, uh, and it's something that starts very early on with the death of Joel, the character that we all kind of grew to love and inhabit during the first game. So I guess what I want to ask is, how early on did you decide to do that, and how hard was it to get the tone of that key sequence right? Um, Very early on. So as soon as we... um there was some debate about whether we should make a sequel to the last of us because how mm. special it was for fans but more importantly for us is how special it was for us how much we love this character these characters the world the story we told that we didn't want to do anything that would tarnish it for ourselves mm. um, that was very important um, and once we felt like we landed on a story um, that's ultimately about empathy and it felt very important to us uh, that story from the get-go had joel's death to set the wheels in motion for this um, revenge genre story mm-hmm. that ultimately, ultimately gets into much deeper stuff than just revenge. Um, and then as far as getting the tone right, it's something we talked a lot about. And it's, it's, there's, there's, there's always like a few important scenes that you want to save for as late as possible to capture um, because you want to make sure you have everything else set up right because that will inform what you should do with that scene. So, for example, in the first game, Sarah's death was one of the last scenes that we captured. It was Mm. pretty late in production uh, because we wanted to make sure everything else was right before we kind of, like, hit that scene. Uh, And then here, Joel's death was one of those, like, it's just this thing that was kind of looming over us. It's like, when are we going to get it? How should we do it? We had all these different versions of it that we had played with and wrote. And eventually try to distill it down to like the bare, what, what's the bare essentials we need 
to evoke a certain feeling in the player that will mirror what Ellie feels to set you off on this journey. And it was like, whereas the first game, you know, we're really after like sadness and loss. And there is some of that later in the game, you know, when you're going through Joel's house and, and there's, there's a grieving that's happening there. But yeah. in that moment when Joel is taken out, we want you to feel dread and disgust and anger. Um, yeah. Those were uh, what we were trying to evoke from the player. Because it's not just a death scene, it's, it's it's a torture scene as well. And I saw there was a concept art in there which had him missing a hand at one point. So I guess you must have gone back and forth on quite how far to take that. Yeah, there are all sorts of different versions. There was a, a just to, to take you into our gruesome mind, there was one version <laughs> where when he turned his back to Abby, she stabbed him in the spine and twisted the blade and like severed his spine and had him drop. Wow. It's just like some of it just felt like unnecessary unnecessary yeah. so it's like what's the right amount and even like when when you're there we don't show you the torture right we show you like yeah. kind of the aftermath of it and even with the final blow we're, we're not fixating on it because it's like the gore of it is not important mm. some of that is important and we why we flashed that imagery for ellie as part of her ptsd um so it was important to show it for that but we didn't want to make it titillating or torture porn we were very conscious Understand me that doesn't work for everybody. Like for some people, this crossed the line; it was too much. But our yeah. intention was to just make it disgusting enough for you to put you in the mindset of Ellie. Yeah, because it's important. Because that horror aspect is kind of key to the theme of the game and understanding the place that it takes her to. You know, when I played it, I didn't never felt it was gratuitous, but I felt it was enough that it it triggered something emotionally, which I guess was was the intention. Yeah, and part of it is just you know how. For good or bad, how desensitized we are to Hollywood yeah. violence, which made for us to evoke those emotions, we had to take it to a very real, authentic place mm. um, with with the violence in order to motivate Ellie's action, which become darker and darker as she heads into the story. And she feels like she needs to get more closer to that, that concept of an eye for an eye for her to feel like justice has been served. Because I think, as has been said before, the first game kind of had its core is this relationship, this sort of love relationship. And this is very much a game about hate. And I think my thought when I was playing this was this is one of the most adult video games I've ever played. And not because it's violent or because of the subject matter, but it has an emotional maturity that I think you don't see that often. And not just in gaming, I think across the board. So it asks quite a lot of the people playing it in terms of sort of moral nuance and empathetic flexibility. Was there a part of you making this that was worried that people would struggle to make that leap, that they might find that difficult? Yes. Uh, and, and there was a similar feeling when we were making the first Last of Us coming off Uncharted. You know, Uncharted is pulpy action adventure. <laughs> yeah. There are clear good guys and clear bad guys. Uh, and then we try to find nuance within that. But it's, it's, it's a simpler world mm. in that respect. Uh, with The Last of Us, we're dealing more with greys and... Um, more subtext, less dialogue, and there's a lot to infer and interpret. And because of that, we were worried that it's going to go over a lot of players' heads and it wouldn't be as successful as Uncharted because of it. But we stuck to our guns and said, oh, you know, this is the story we want to tell. Whatever happens, happens. And we found that, you know, we underestimated our players. Like, they got, like, so many people understood what it was after. And then we're like, okay, can we take it further? Can we take make a story that's... Because even with the first game... Joel, the, the Joel's journey is a heroic one, mm. even though he's has a checkered past um, and you don't really feel what this guy is capable of until the very end when you see him torture people and you see him kill people in cold blood to protect his daughter. Um, mm. 
so the whole exploration of that is to say it's it's a it's a journey of love really for both games and both games are showing the beauty the compassion that can come from love and the horror and atrocities that can be committed in the name of love mm. um so this game we say okay we're not going to put you on the same journey we're going to that that moral divergence is going to happen earlier on and we're asking you to walk in these characters shoes who are not going to be morally aligned with you because they don't live in your world when your comfort they have to deal with a lawless world where someone has done them um uh violently mistreated someone they love and this is how they try to correct that and mm. they make sometimes altruistic choices and often awful choices but they're humans it all coming from a place of love and it rejects the idea, I guess, that that kind of idea of moral absolutes, doesn't it? That, you know, people are capable of justifying any action, no matter how horrible, in the right circumstances. That and obviously cycles of violence are kind of self-defeating. But the genius, I think, with this here is that you you take the player along with you every step of the way. Like you tug their sympathies one way, then you yank them the other way, and then you go another way as well. And, you know... I kind of, when I played this game, I thought this is going to be almost like gaming's last Jedi. I imagine it's going to be really divisive in that way. And I wondered whether you found that within the team, it was divisive, not in terms of the quality, but in terms of people struggling to, to move their sympathies to those different places. Yes. Uh, although it was, I'd say most people quickly understood what, what it is we're after and how we're leveraging this genre, the gameplay, these characters to tell this dual conflict story about empathy about mm. seeing a, a conflict from two different perspectives uh but there were some it was really hard because there were some people that joined naughty dog because of how much they loved the last of us like that <laughs> inspired him to get into video games yeah and now they're coming in and they're like wait you're doing what to do and like <laughs> ellie is no longer this like sweet innocent beacon of light in this world of darkness and it's like yeah you know and growing up and surviving in this world you have to commit sometimes awful acts and i think Sometimes the most hardcore fans of the first game struggled at first with some of the narrative choices we're after. But I, I think ultimately most people, not everybody, but 99% yeah. of people understood this is what it takes to tell this kind of story. And I mean, the main way you kind of achieve that empathetic shift is the switch, the big switch at the halfway point when we move from Ellie to Abby. We played with Abby slightly at the beginning, but when we shift to Abby at that critical moment as well, you know, with the confrontation moment. And it's funny that like, I had an almost visceral reaction to that moment, to being forced to play as Abby when you hate her that much. And it's like, I kind of, it felt like looking down at the gun in your hands after you've just accidentally shot someone. It was like a sense of revulsion, like you don't want to do it. And you gradually, gradually, bit by bit, come around. And I think that's a genius piece of emotional manipulation. I wonder how hard did you have to work to get that just right because it's a very hard line to walk extremely hard uh that was the the biggest challenge of this game is to make players empathetic to abby a person that has brutally tortured and killed a fan favorite <laughs> character yeah. in the beginning of the story and and the whole thing is designed in such a way so you hate her so like a lot of players again not everybody but a lot of players are like i can't wait to torture her back because that's how our minds work our minds mm. so easily tip into that kind of primal violence when we witness something horrible happening. And there's so many examples in the real world you could point to where that happens. Um, so the challenge for this game was, what can we do? What kind of story can we tell to make you see Abby as human? As mm. not just like, 
right? Because your instinct is to reduce her to less than human. So you can justify what you're going to do to her later. And you see now players, I love the conversations. I love seeing players say, she's a monster. No, she's, she's even better than Ellie. She's better than Joel. And just the back and <laughs> forth of that is, I think, the kind of conversation we should be having about any conflict in the world. Yeah. Obviously, there's horrible human beings that are psychotic and serial killers. And <laughs> that's not what we're trying to say, like, okay, everybody is good. But everybody is complicated, mm -hmm. um, especially when you get into regions of the world that suffer from cycle of violence and there are collateral damage and people that die on the side and kids that, that get murdered. And it's, it's, it's awful stuff. And the only way we could get past it is to say, what's their perspective? What's the perspective on the other side? Because without understanding it, you can never get past it. Right. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, the cycle ends when both sides decide to stop it. If only one side decides to stop it, it keeps going. Yeah. It doesn't it doesn't end. Um, so, yes, the whole structure, the whole challenge, like, can we put you in Abby's shoes and can we get you to see what it's like to be her? And the the, the pitfall and the, and the thing we said earlier, I was like, that means we, we can't just make her morally good across the board because you will feel it's not a real person. And I think you'll push back and resist that. So to show her she has positive qualities and she has these negative qualities and she makes some awful choices along the way. Yeah. And, um, but that's how you humanize someone. That, that it's seeing their flaws, seeing how despite their motivation they make bad decisions despite mm. understanding that the cycle of violence is bad she's still ready to kill ellie and dina when um you know she felt wronged again by her and like the love of her life was killed by ellie like towards um the end of, of seattle but that's that's the relationship we have with anger with frustration it's not like okay I, i've been enlightened and it's over no you regress and you come back and, and we wanted to capture the nuance of that and and you do it all the way through the game as well, and even down to the fact that even the you know quote unquote cannon fodder type characters, they have names, they call out to each other, they feel like humans. And I think you know rather than just randomly slaughtering everyone, which to be fair I actually did, but <laughs> you do feel bad about it, you know, when they're calling out like Chris, like the body on the floor, and just talking about those characters. I wanted to ask, how did you settle on you know the wolves and the seraphites? Were you looking specifically for groups that had a kind of a distinct contrast to each other, as opposed to the hunters? from the original game yeah like every time we add a group or even a character to the last of us we're like what's a different perspective mm. uh, right we've seen the military in the first game and we see how okay they are able to bring rule of law and safety through oppression um we now see jackson and you see okay here's a, a community that's trying to restore law and order in the way that we know it today um and then it's like okay what, what are some other groups we can explore so it's like well, what is it like to have a secular militaristic group, um, not quite like the military, but one that has taken over their supplies and is trying to govern um, by force? And mm -hmm. right again, they feel like their motivation is correct, is that they're trying to bring law and order back, um, but not in the way that Jackson does. Right? Jackson is like brings people in and is um, sometimes to a fault, which is why like Joel and Tommy ultimately don't see what they're stepping into. Uh, whereas the WLF, the wolves are much more xenophobic and don't let other people in. And then to see, okay, well, how does religion play into all this? And mm. here's another group that's xenophobic from a kind of a spiritual standpoint and feel like they've been ordained the same land. Uh, and again, it's trying to capture, mirror some conflict in the world obviously it's a much more stylized and genre genre take on it uh but to say like both of these groups see themselves as right and either one of them could just move to a nearby town and the conflict would be over <laughs> but they both feel like they're in the right and they've dug their heels in 
And that's why that conflict is ultimately destructive to both of them. You do feel that. And I think as the game progresses, you think, oh, right, in my head, I know these are bad guys. Oh, maybe they're not. And I've seen them. And even the Seraphites, you see their families when you go to the island. You see that even they're living like, you know, okay, slightly quirky, but normal people. Um, but there are a lot of relationships in this game which which play out. And, and and let's talk about Dina and Ellie's relationship. So we found out that Ellie was gay in the first game's DLC, uh, which is kind of easy to forget as the character fits that character so well. It feels kind of organic, like from the start. But here we see her exploring her sexuality and the partnership they have leads to a very different character interaction than you had with Joel and Ellie. I wondered whether that was kind of the thought process behind that because if for example you paired it with tommy it would have felt perhaps a little bit too familiar yeah it's again we're, we're trying to explore different kinds of characters and different kinds of relationship so with joel it was much more paternal protective joel is teaching ellie here's how you survive in this world mm. and ellie and dina started more as equals and with left behind we already told uh, a story of like a love blo- blossoming and we didn't want to repeat that kind of journey again. So to say, okay, here are two girls that are best friends. They know each other intimately before they're romantically involved even. Um, so even right, if they didn't get romantically involved, Dina would be going on this journey with Ellie, just like Jesse does, because here's this tight-knit group that love each other so much due to their friendship. And then there's like a romantic aspect that comes into it as well. And part of the thinking there is to say... Okay, well, Dina has more of Ellie's innocence from the first game, where because Ellie had just witnessed this atrocity happening to her father figure. Mm. So we needed someone to bring a bit more lightheartedness to that journey, and we do that through Dina. And then the other thing is Dina represents the life in Jackson. Dina has lived in Jackson for much longer than Ellie, so she's constantly a representation of what Ellie stands to lose if she doesn't let this um, really dark pursuit go. Uh, and the stakes rise. And then you also see for someone like Dina, and again, it's an exploration of love, where like she does what she does and she goes on Ellie's journey and she's complicit in a lot of Ellie's journey because of her love for Ellie. And then at some point she has a baby and then the love shifts and her responsibility shifts and she can no longer allow this thing to continue because she has a greater love now for this child. Mm. And that's ultimately what where she sees that Ellie had, has not hit bottom and she can't wait for her to do so. And she threatens her and ultimately leaves her because of it. That's a really tough moment because I guess, as was intentional, when she's sitting on the tractor with the baby, you kind of feel that's the end of the game. And then you realize she has that flash, but you see she's got PTSD and you see that she just can't function until she sees this through. It's it's really heartrending when she leaves the farm and goes back out. Well, that's Ellie's struggle is like, unlike Joel, um, Ellie is a hothead. Um, she has a chip on her shoulder. You see it the way she killed David in the first game. You mm. see it how she almost hits Bill when he just says the like when he handcuffs her to her pipe. So there's like an there's an anger that is deep inside Ellie that she has to work through. And because of that, she knows what the right thing to do is, but her emotions are so overwhelming, she can't. And that's that's the conversation she has with Dina. It's like she says, I can't let it go. I know what I need to do. I just I'm not like you. I can't do it. I mean, ultimately she does, and she saves a little bit of humanity within her, and right, that's her journey towards redemption eventually, Yeah, uh, but at a great cost. Because as you say, eventually she does make that decision and she does end that cycle, but that wasn't originally the ending, was it? You'd had for a long time that she was going to kill Abby. Like, what, what, what was the thinking behind that originally, and then what made you ultimately change that? Originally it was going to be, a, as, as you're saying, a darker ending where Ellie uh, kills Abby, 
and then returns to the farm. And then we have different versions of it. But someone random, like some side character that you killed, their relative was there waiting for you to show that, right, even outside this core fight between Ellie and Abby, there's a cost to all these other people you're killing on the side. And <laughs> ultimately, that person is there to torture and kill Ellie. And in hurting her, they realize you're just a stupid kid. And they walk away. And it's like, it, it felt kind of like interesting in an ironic way that it wasn't the main character stopping it. It was just some random person. But so thematically, it, it resonated with us a yeah. lot. But then it felt like, oh, we're, we're being too much of a slave to the themes and we've lost the character. We've lost that inside Ellie, there's good. Right. She, again, her motivation is love. And ultimately, we wanted to show that's what's deep inside. And right. The Robert McKee, the way he talks about storytelling is you apply as much pressure as you can on the character and only through pressure, the choices they make define who they are. And ultimately, right. Despite the horrible things that Ellie does, there's good inside of her. Mm. And we wanted to show that. Because there's that moment, isn't there, when she has cut Abby down and she's uh, getting at the boat and she pauses and she's almost going to let her go. And then she just says to her, she can't, she can't let her go. Like what's going through her head at that point? Uh, so much, right? It's, it's hard to pin, pin down any decision a person makes to like one particular thing. But it's like, it's, it's the image of, right, Joel murdered Joel and his bloody, uh, being a bloody mess. And the person that caused that is a few feet away from me. Mm. And then can I let that go? And again, she struggles. She knows what the right thing is. And she's so terrified of what that would mean to let her go. Like, will the nightmares just continue forever? Um, and right, her emotions get the best of her and she turns around. She's like, she believes she needs to finish it. Despite like, Abby being this emaciated person, it's not the same person that killed Joel anymore. That's mm. not who Abby is. Abby has gone on this redemption journey and now is caring for this kid. And Ellie is in a way blinded to see that Abby has become Joel. Abby has become someone that is protecting someone, going to the ends of the earth to save someone just the way Joel did to her. And only once she has like ab essentially Abby dead, like she's essentially one. That's when she like sees it. She like kind of like sees the matrix in a way and yeah. realizes what it's all about. Because she sees that image. There's a flash of Joel, isn't there, with the guitar? Like she almost like it feels like she's found some kind of peace like there's a her touchstone to joel when she's in that fight yeah there's right that's very purposeful to say like all the memories she has of joel the images of joel all these violent images and then in this moment of clarity um right so much of our, our conversation around ellie is about her journey is one of addiction in a yeah. way uh so in this moment of clarity she sees something else about the relationship she had with joel there's a different kind of memory and you know, why she lets her go, it's so complicated. It's so, like, complex, and I love reading people's interpretation of, like, <laughs> is it because Lev is there? Is it because she had a memory of, like, when she start, started her journey to forgive Joel, and that's why she's doing it? Um, is it like I was saying earlier? It's like she sees the Matrix, and she sees the futility of it all, and she realizes this will not make it anything go, this will not fix anything. Yeah. Uh, and there's no right answer here. It's like we left it vague on purpose because we want you to – reflect on it yourself it's very hard to play like i remember at one point where you have to mash the button to drive the knife into abby's chest and i refused to do it died <laughs> as a result you're not the only one because <laughs> you love both of these characters you're just like i don't want to kill her and it's nice that you threw us a bone there and actually didn't make her do it because i think that ending you talked about would have been perhaps a little bit too bleak <laughs> um but you give us something at the end don't you, you give us that moment you give us a, a gift as it were amid all the darkness which is the knowledge that she had made up with joel 
before the end, like they, they'd started to make peace with each other. And I think that's a lovely note to end the game on, that there's that little bit of hope, that sense of peace from it. Was that a, a deliberate sort of way of almost softening the experience for the, for the player? It, it, just like everything else in the game, it was like an ongoing organic discovery. Like, so we had that scene and knew that, right, because there's like several timelines, right? There's the Abbey mm. timeline in Seattle, there's the Ellie timeline in Seattle, and then there's like the Ellie timeline over the years between the first game and the second yeah. game which really you saw the shift in her relationship with Joel. So we knew what that that journey was, but we weren't sure where to place those moments. And we played with all sorts of different versions of it. And the one that felt the best is to kind of like tie up that story at the end and say all these things kind of run in parallel. And just the way your mind works, right? When you think about dreams or memories, they're constantly out of order and you're remembering different aspects of a relationship with a person. And it, it really depends on your state of mind or where you're at and how you remember them. Uh, and that was the best version to reflect the kind of themes we're after. Because I guess it wouldn't have fit the game if she'd come back and Dina had been waiting with open arms. Like, you need there to be that empty house. You need her to kind of face the consequences of it. But then leave, I guess, it open. That Does she go off to Jackson? Does she find Dina there? Like, you, you do leave it open and, and ambiguous. Yeah, and, and right, I've seen some people have a, a conversations like, oh, I wish I saw Ellie's redemption. I wish I saw, can you come back from that? And, I, and I, my answer to that is like, you did. You saw it with Abby because yeah. you see you're getting one journey of like someone's on the path towards hitting bottom, towards becoming a monster in a way and maybe stopping short of that. And then you see it someone's journey of redemption of coming back from such an act mm. um, of doing horrible things and finding a, a positive purpose in life. And despite how hard it is sticking to that purpose and seeing this is what love is about. Yeah. Um, this is the positive quality of love. Versus this kind of like very negative, destructive quality. And the other big rug pull you manage to do in this, which is the genius use of flashbacks, is that you're very judicious on when you drop the revelation that Ellie knows, that she knows what Joel did at the end of the first game. And to a certain extent, it changes the tone of this game and Ellie's motivation and what's going through her head. The fact that she knows, it hits quite hard. Like, was that another piece that kind of moved around where you were going to drop that in? Yes. And, and ultimately, right, there's like, you, and you, you see the, so much of this game is like seeing kind of actions and then making you judge them in a particular way and then giving you greater context later and making you reflect on them. Mm. Right. So just like you're going on this journey and killing Jordan and killing Nora and finding Abby. And, and then later you get the context of like, Oh man, I, I viewed those actions maybe not in the full weight that they deserve. Uh, in the same way that, you know, when Ellie goes on this journey and you have one understanding and then realize, Oh, she knew, and she knew what the fireflies were after but now her love for Joel is overriding all of that. And she's willing to make them all suffer because how much she cared for this man. Last thing before I let you go, I just wanted to ask one thing uh, about Lev. Now, Lev's a, a great character in this, a really interesting one. And I think the character that humanizes Abby in, in many ways more than anything else, as you say, because it makes you see the Joel-Ellie dynamic from the first game. Uh, and Lev ultimately pulls her back from the brink and, and stops her from killing Dina. So, I mean, what was the thinking behind that character and also the decision to make him be a trans character and to have Ian Alexander play him? Because the representation in this game feels so effortless and organic. And I think that really sets it apart from so many other other titles. Yeah, there's so many things that maybe seem effortless that require a, a <laughs> tremendous amount of effort. Um, I, I, I will say, like, just going back to like your earlier question is, um, why do we have the WLF and the Seraphites? It's, it's the same kind of answer of why do we have a trans character, an Asian character, uh, a Mexican character? It's mm. like we were trying to find different perspectives. And, and 
even saying that, I feel like it kind of belittles the characters a little bit because the trans character is Asian, is someone that struggles with spirituality, is someone that has like a quirky sense of humor, is someone <laughs> that is so curious about the world and has been repressed. And so th that's just one aspect of them that helps us see the world through someone a little different eyes or someone's familiar's eyes, depending on like where you are at. Mm. But the point is that all those things are done in service of reflecting the world that we live in. So you could better understand the kind of conflict. Again, we're in a we're in a zombie genre. And yeah. it's very easy, I think, to dismiss the game is just say, okay, it's a zombie story. But like some of the best stories that reflect back on society are genre stories. Yeah. Night of the Living Dead dealt with racism <laughs> yeah. at the time. Um so our hope was that to just find characters that are are varied, treat them authentically. Mm. And that means right, doing the research. It means um, consulting with people. Uh, but then it means kind of wading into sometimes um, uncomfortable waters or sensitive material, but just owning it and owning that that's who they are and that's what it takes to treat them authentically in this genre. There was one more thing I just before you go that I wanted to mention which was music and uh music has been so integral to this saga from the the acoustic score in the first game and indeed in this one but it feels much more narratively present here that the guitar is is Ellie's connection to Joel uh, and the song uh Future Days which kind of even in the the lyrics of the song encapsulates the whole story you know if I were to lose you I would lose myself and mm. I wondered how early was that a part of this game like, and how hard did you have to fight to get it <laughs> uh it was very early uh it, it it originated from when um we did this thing called one night live where we had the actors on stage performing scenes from the game to an, a live audience and then we streamed that then we cut the stream and I, I had written an extra scene just for the stage because i wanted to take advantage of this opportunity to be on the stage be like oh it's like writing a mini play in a way so kind of like a one scene play <laughs> And it was about Joel gifting Ellie this guitar post the events of Last of Us 1 and stinging to her future days. And this was back in 2014, maybe. I, I don't quite remember now. Yeah. Uh, and then once we started full production of this game, I knew that's the opening scene of this game. And, and I'm like, I knew we had to get the rights, which is different when you do it on stage versus when you put it yeah, in the yeah, game. Yeah, cool. screens. And it was like a long journey to convince Pearl Jam's manager to like hear us out, come over and pitch him the story. And, um, you know, they're very particular about what they like their music to. And especially with video games, it's been challenging. And I know some people that have tried and failed to get a Pearl Jam song. Um, but we we're lucky enough that it resonated with someone over there uh, and they agreed to it. And uh, now the song is part of The Last of Us. Um, it's, it's, it's beautiful every time it's played. And also the Take On Me cover, which is such a stunning moment in the game which i guess some players could even miss if they don't go into the record store but that's a beautiful beautiful moment uh, oh, it really is i could talk about this all day but i'm sure you have other things to do uh neil thank you so much for joining us and taking the time to talk about this this phenomenal game cool thank you yeah uh, i'm glad it resonated with you i love talking about it right let's jump in with our own reactions to what they created so so before we get into the plot stuff you've kind of already alluded to this but it feels like with the first game it had that ambiguous ending. It had an ending where Joel has killed everyone. Ellie wakes up. He lies to her. He tells her there are other immune people. Her immunity means nothing. And she doesn't quite buy it. And she pushes him on that point. She uh, she makes him, as they're looking out over Jackson, she makes him promise that he's telling the truth. And he lies to her. And she goes, okay, then. Cut to black. Really ambiguous ending. Some say kind of a perfect ending. And to take that and now build a story on top of that, that's a big risk. Do you not think? 
It's a big risk, um, but it pays off. I, I was surprised that they waited so long to give us clarity on whether or not Ellie knew the truth before she set out on her quest. Mm. Um, and it makes the second playthrough, which I still haven't finished yet, I'm a long way away from finishing, very different um, because now sort of you have that knowledge of what actually went down. But yeah, uh, it's a big risk, but it, it pays off in a big way. I just, I just, the, the phrase that kept re-entering my mind when playing this game is that everyone is the hero of their own story, mm. which is a phrase you hear time and time again, but I don't think it's ever resonated more with me than it does with The Last of Us Part Two, And not only mm. that, but that it makes you root for both sides of that journey over the course of 20, 30 hours is just a ridiculously impressive feat. Weird, yeah. Weirdly, the thing that came to my mind was Pulp Fiction. And <laughs> I remember seeing Pulp Fiction for the first time and you're following Travolta, he's the hero, and then you switch to Bruce Willis and then they come face to face and one of them kills the other one. And these are two characters who are kind of heroes and you like both of them. And um, the way that Tarantino kind of played with your empathy and the fact that you'd got connected to both of these characters and then one of them guns down the other one. Uh, and obviously the chrono chronology kind of really, uh, I was reminded of that while playing this mm. of just, of just really ingenious switching of perspectives and, um, and just the way it was jumping back and forth in time. I just thought it was incredibly mm. effective. That, that actually reminded me of waves, um, which came out uh, a few months back now. Um, but there's a similar thing that happens in waves where uh, you're following sort of one character and then it switches midway through. And in the last of part two playing it, it was annoying to me initially when it happened because when the perspective shifts to Abby, um, it comes at a really sort of big moment in the game. And I'm like, I want to see what happens in this moment. I don't want to be spending time with Abby. And it took like, in, in my mind, I was like, this is just, this is just going to be like a quick, you know, 10 yeah. minute cutscene, right? We're, just, <laughs> we're not, we're not, we're not going to spend much time. It took me like a good 30, 40 minutes. Yeah. Like, hold on. We're yeah. actually four going hours. deep into Abby. Exactly. It took yeah. me a I, while. Because but I think the really first Abby, off. the first Abby uh, uh, one that you get quite early on, that I actually, I'm yeah, not the very beginning in, of the game. Yeah. I think we could argue about that a little bit because I'm not entirely sure that they should have dropped Abby's perspective in that early. Um, I wonder if it would have been more effective if they'd waited till that moment halfway through and then switched, and it would have been even more kind of shocking. But yeah, I mm. thought it was going to be, unlike you, Amon, I thought it was going to be like a 20 minute scene and then back, and it wasn't. It just kept going and going. Mm. I was like, oh, okay, this is interesting. Yeah. Well, let's let's talk about that for a second before we get on to the, uh, the the sort of full structure and the switch halfway through. So if you go back to the prologue, so the prologue, as you say, it splits your perspective. You start off as Joel very briefly, uh, then you get to use Ellie, and then you do switch to Abby, and you switch to Abby during that sequence where, you know, the Horde sequence, which is quite full on, actually, very early on in the game. It's great. But it is quite jarring that you you wake up, Abby's in the, the, the little ski lodge she wakes up she goes out with owen voiced by patrick fugit by the way mm. um and they go out and discuss it and then you realize why she's here you realize that she's there to get joel and that's quite jarring as well and you do you feel this bit well i've played with joel i've just had some time with ellie why am i now using this strange woman who i'm not sure i like uh and it's an odd thing i think ali gross talked about this a little bit in an interview where she's talked about they felt they needed to establish sympathy for abby quite early on they needed to give her some dimension but i know what you mean like even having played her for a bit when joel saves her life and then she ultimately 
and it's brutal that bit where she shoots yeah. him in the leg with a shotgun and then bind the wound and starts I'm working him over it yeah. Yeah. literally James in my in, in my new game plus I, I skipped that scene I couldn't put myself through yeah, it again. I, I literally don't like skipped it. the scene. Yeah. I don't like it. But uh, yeah, I just wonder if it would have actually been more effective had they not done that and then you had to work even harder to yeah, earn maybe. her sympathy. Mm. Because actually, mm. I, I didn't really sympathize with her that much because I figured out quite early on that she's after Joel. Mm. You know, when she keeps talking about he's here, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's obvious, right? You know, and so, you know, yeah. and so I was like, no, mm. I don't like this. I don't like this. <laughs> so I, I felt like something was off. Um, and so, yeah, I just wonder if it might have been more effective. You're, you're playing and... I don't know. Maybe it was, maybe they didn't want to switch back to Joel again at that point. Mm. But I mean, the, as you said, that that death of Joel hits like a ten-ton truck. Like it is absolutely brutal because you've been this character, you've lived this character, you've loved this character all through the first game, and then to see him tortured to death, and the way Ellie is forced to watch him die as well—that's horrific. Um, I read an interview. Uh, where Drutman was actually talking about how originally they had it scripted that because Joel has had his brains beaten in and he's half delirious, the last word out of his mouth is Sarah. He looks at Ellie and calls her Sarah. Uh, and mm. apparently it was Troy Baker who thought that was a bad move. He said, no, no, just have him say nothing. It would be better if he just doesn't say anything, which I think was the right decision, actually. I think that would have been, there would have been a slight discordant note there. Um, mm. But that is a moment I was I was bereft, and it comes you know on the heels of so bear in mind where it the way it plays out. So you see Abby get him, you see that begin, and then you cut back to Ellie and Dina, and they have that lovely moment with the joints in the basement, and there's lots of character stuff going on, and it's not until Jesse comes down and says, "Look, Joel is missing." Yeah, it's it's a brutal brutal scene. Mm. Maybe it took yeah. the edge off her witnessing it that she was slightly high. I don't know. <laughs> Perhaps hopefully. We can but hope. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But that obviously yeah. that prologue sets up the nature of the game. So if the first, and I think they talked about the idea that continuing the first game is a difficult thing to do, and partly because Joel's story arc is finished, like he has done his redemption arc, he's finished, and to take that character anywhere after that does feel like where does he go from here? Like his arc is really fulfilling, whereas Ellie's arc is just beginning in the first game. And I think that's a, definitely the more interesting one here. It's can you make her almost go on a similar? journey to him like you take away the one thing that she cares about and see what happens to her and i'm sure you guys are aware like the, the reaction to this game the reception of this game has been quite divisive there's been an extraordinary amount of hate from some quarters of the internet and why do you guys think that is if this has made me think about the way we critique things um because i think there are times and i fully admit that there are times when i have also fallen into this trap that we're so focused, if we're especially excited for something as well, we're so focused on what we want to see happen mm. that we forget to analyze what actually did happen. And so much of the negative feedback that I've watched and read of this game are from people who have, in some cases, envisioned entirely different storylines <laughs> to the one we've been given. But this is the story Neil Druckmann and Halle Gross wanted to tell. And for me, all the beats they were going for, in my mind, they hit. The storytelling is ballsy as hell and you know i don't agree with many decisions the characters make but you know as far as i can see every single one of those decisions was earned and you can't help but respect that storytelling in which the characters don't do what you want them to do is the hardest storytelling to pull off um but as i say if you've seeded the uh that uh, character and if, if you if you've done that character work right then, you know, you can't help but respect that. It actually reminded me of Star-Lord in Infinity War. 
you know, that that fight with Thanos, they have him, that should be the end of it. And then he goes and does something stupid. And you know, yeah. when when you're watching for the first time, you're like, Star Lord, what are you doing? Literally the fate of the universe, what are you doing? But if you go back and look at the evolution of Star Lord, you can understand why he's reacting that way, as frustrating as it might be. There are many instances in The Last of Us 2 which are similar. Yeah, yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right, Amon. Like the character flaws are what make these characters interesting. I think there are probably a lot of people who just wanted to see Joel and Ellie run around yep. with flamethrowers and <laughs> and you know uh, submachine guns, whatever you prefer, and just fighting zombies in cool set pieces. And people, there there are some people who would have been happy with that, but that's not what these guys want to do. And uh, you know, I I I I've been reading up on some of the reactions, and it's awful. Like people have been getting death threats. I mean, yes. that's yep. insane to me. But um, but it's a game that absolutely pushes people's buttons like uh, they must have known that this was gonna get quite a strong emotion because that's what Mm. they were going for obviously that that is too strong an emotion but i mean they do stuff repeatedly in this game i'm sure we'll get onto it which which shocks the hell out of you and you're like wow and it sort of smacks you in the face um alistair dog (laughs) r.i.p so i i I, I, so i I, you know i there was always going to be people i think this game would have failed if if some people hadn't got upset i think we're all upset we're just some people manifest it in different ways but it's, it's, it's a more difficult sell, isn't it? The first game is a positive emotional experience. Don't get me wrong, you go through the ringer and bad things happen. Uh, the death of Sam in particular is absolutely brutal, which I think at the end of the summer sequence in the first game. Mm. Um, mm. But, you know, you're going somewhere, you're protecting someone, there's, there's a positivity about it. This game is entirely negative in its emotional state. It's a game about hate, it's her descent into rage and vengeance and her losing her ability to kind of think clearly. And some of the reviews I read when this first came out a lot of the complaints were, I didn't want any of it to happen. I didn't agree with any of the decisions the characters made, and I didn't want any of it to happen. And it's it's like, and exactly as you're saying, that's fine. Yeah. But knowing Ellie as we do, of course she was going to do that. Like, if you look at how she is in the first game, she's got a real temper on her. And, you know, you see it when, you know, she's interacting with David, the cannibal leader, voiced by mm. Nolan North in the first game. And she can't keep her mouth shut she can't she has to tell him to go fuck himself she bites him she breaks his finger she stabs she doesn't give a shit because she's just she's a little ball of fury uh and she has grown into that here as well so of course she was going to go on a rampage of revenge that that's really interesting what you said about you don't always want to do what they make you do Mm. and there are definitely scenes Mm. where they're like press the press the square button now and i was like i don't want to press it but you haven't got a choice i have died on several (laughs) cases because i refused to do it because i didn't agree with what was being done but what i think is but i think that's really interesting because you know say during the final battle um on the beach you don't want to do it but then part of you does want to do it because you you've had ingrained from years and years of video gaming that you want to fight who's in front of you you know that's the point of the game is to fight what's in front of you and at the same time another part of you is pulling back and going i don't want to do it and yeah. it's interesting because i think that's kind of the point in a way that these characters are battling two impulses at the same time they're mm. battling the anger and they're battling and they're, at the same time they have the they have the the awareness that they shouldn't be doing what they're doing but they still do it and i think that that's really i've never seen a video game do that before where it's giving you that complex um the morality of this game is very complex because it does i mean yes it's about the cycles of violence and that you have to break them and i think in neil Druckmann coming from israel there's it's the topic that's very close to his heart but uh 
I think what it what it really does push out is that again it is all about perspective that this is not a game where there are I mean if there are any villains in this game it's the rattlers at the end they're probably the only enemy that aren't particularly nuanced yeah. but there are no villains other than that none of Abby's crew are villains Some, one of them at least is a bell end the one in the cap but uh, um, <laughs> do you know what I mean like is that Manny no I like Manny no man Manny. not Manny no. It's, is it uh, what's his name is it I want to wonder if it's Jerry I forget the first one you kill bloody um, Jerry but uh <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, there are no villains. The Seraphites aren't the villains. The wolves aren't the villains. The fireflies. No one is a villain here. Everyone is pursuing their own agenda, which is incompatible with everyone else's. Isaac, right? Even Isaac's not a villain. If you look at the backstory, like, you know, because you, you read all the little reports and it fills in the backstory and stuff. Like, the wolves grew up under the oppression of Fedra and they began, like, the fireflies as freedom fighters trying to, you know, bring order and throw off oppression. And then they ultimately became exactly the what oppressors. they hated. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I'm sure Isaac justifies his actions and he is as Amos said the hero of his own narrative I don't think he would ever see himself as the villain he's just like we have to kill the scars the scars are killing us we tried a peace treaty with them it imploded we've got to wipe them out like it's pragmatic yeah yeah, it's really interesting. I, I loved the world building in this. I love how they took the first film, the mythology of that first game, rather, and and, <laughs> and and took it off in interesting directions. And it's totally plausible that if you, in this kind of vacuum that's left with society breaking down, that you'd have some people becoming this religious cult mm. and buying into the whole kind of uh, culty aspect of it. And then you would have, you know, yeah, that you would have these groups coming out that would become more and more ordered and tyrannical. And so, yeah, and the Rattlers, I mean, there's you know they're the kind of the sons of anarchy gone wrong yeah because it doesn't um, you don't unless you read all the material that you find it's quite hard to work out what they are like from what i gather they're like a mercenary group based out of santa I barbara feel, i feel like they were, human I, slaves. I feel like they're bikers i know you never see them on a bike but i, I feel <laughs> like there's a real one looks like a biker <laughs> he looks like ron perlman in sons of anarchy but yeah i yeah I, I thought there was something about that kind of like the west coast biker kind of yeah. group i don't know it felt like they were modeled after yeah. them but um but yeah i mean nasty you, you mentioned sort of you know, finding all the different material and the letters and everything else. This is a game that really makes you want to do that. Yeah. Um, the, the level of detail is just incredible to the point where, you know, I found myself checking at regular intervals, has Ellie written anything new in their diary? What is yeah. it I need to go see? And what, and all the stuff that she did write in her diary was great, especially pertaining to uh, her relationship with, with Dina and her getting sort of more confident in, in that relationship. Uh, that there's some sort of additional things that she puts in her diary about it, which are really just add even more color to it in a mm. really cool way. I like uh, the lyrics, so, yeah. the songs, lyrics. Yeah, yeah. I, I do. I, I, I mean, I will say I'm, I'm maybe of the mind that there are too many letters left around. Like, does everyone write a letter when they're about to die? Like, um, you know, I, you I'd don't say know what you do in the situation, I, Yeah, I, I, I'm I, dying. I, Someone give me a pen. <laughs> I mean, I guess they've got no TV, they've got no Wi-Fi. There's lots of time to to. Go. I mean, pens must be quite quite easy to find in the in this post-apocalyptic way. So, I I thought there was maybe too much, too many, doc, too much documentation. Uh, I wonder if there might have been another way or another few ways of they could have got that information out. Um, I don't know. Maybe they didn't want to do the the cassette tape thing because Resident Evil does that, but. I mean, um, if you haven't got time to write a note, you probably don't have time to. Hang on, hang on. Let me just record a little audio diary. It's easier. Note it, to everyone, self. <laughs> everyone seemed to have like PS Vitas in the uh, in the in the gang. In, I do in like Abby's that gang. You kill the last 
the last PS Vita owner is murdered in The Last of Us Part 2. Also, <laughs> and I like the fact she's playing Hotline Miami on it as well, which is a okay. game about massive amounts of violence. So uh, Incredible. Uh, Incredible. Which is quite yeah. fun. And then someone's got, yeah, there's like a lot of battery, like a surprising amount of batteries going on because someone's listening to Ice Cube in the hospital as well. Like, I enjoyed that bit where you just suddenly, you hear something and you're like, what the hell? And you're like aiming your, your, your flamethrower or submachine gun, whichever you prefer. And then it turns out to be an Ice Cube track, which is great. And, and yeah. you did you need to use your AK. Yes, you did indeed. Because there's a bloater. Um, I uh, no, I like the journal. I like the fact that because because she's not maybe the most forthcoming person, you get to see her in a monologue by looking at it in the journal, which worked very well. But what did you guys think of of Ellie and Dina's relationship? So Ellie being queer was something that comes from the uh, Left Behind DLC. Uh, Ashley Johnson was, you know, when she was told when Drummond told her, you know, what do you feel about like Ellie being queer? And she said that she thought it fit perfectly with the character. And I, I agree, like organically, it almost feels like it was planned from the start. Uh, but they obviously they build on that here in this one. It was quite controversial to begin with, wasn't it? Because I remember there being the trailer came out and with the kiss and some people got angry at that and it's like, just wait. <laughs> if you're angry about yeah, that, yeah. you know. But I, yeah. I, I don't know. I thought it was great. I mm. thought it felt completely organic. Um, I thought they, they totally sold those characters as a couple. I really liked all of it. Um, I did think Dina was going to get murdered. Um, so did I. I was like, very early on, I was like, she is not going to last <laughs> two hours in this game. But she did and I was really... Um, I, yeah, I just found their story really touching, like right up to going back to the farm. And one of the Ugh. most like hard hitting oh. moments where you walk, and I knew it was going to happen yeah. when you're walking up to the farmhouse. You're like, there's going to be no one there. No, but when you walk in and everything's gone, and Dina is really good. She must be great at checking out of hotels. She's <laughs> spotless. <laughs> She's had it professionally cleaned, and then yeah. really passive aggressively <laughs> leave all Ellie shit there. Yeah, that was that was good. But um, yeah, the yeah, farm but- sequence is a funny one as well because I thought that was the end of the game. Like I, when you're sitting on the tractor. Mm. Whole Holding the baby, I thought this is this is the last shot of the game. So I was like savoring it. Little did I know there's a whole other sequence to come. But it kind of, I guess, but, it kind yeah, of no. makes sense, doesn't it? That she sees this life with Dina, but she's always slightly at odds with it. Like she feels like she doesn't deserve it. She's got this. It's at odds with her mission as well. I thought it was. Be- I thought it was absolutely beautifully done. It's the character that's, that gets everything she's ever wanted, mm. and she has to, and she walks away from it because of this anger that she's got that she can't process or mm. do anything with it's great well that's one of the beautiful parallels between abby and ellie's journeys because abby you know she's built herself into this muscular person to go after joel and because of sort of her quest for vengeance she has denied herself a life with owen um and that has led to complications with their relationship now Ellie has this life with Dina, but she can't rest with Dina because she has to, is still on her journey, her quest for vengeance. Um, so I thought that was really dumb. But yeah, I, I love the Ellie and Dina relationship. One thing I sort of said to James uh, sort of weeks ago, I love how casually inclusive this game is. Mm. And it's not tokenistic. These are fully formed characters when you actually get fully formed sequences where they're being gay or trans or what have you and which is something that you know big films like your star wars uh like you know some of the marvel films could actually learn from um because this is not just like a tokenistic kiss okay that's it you know they're actually sort of you know going into these scenes and the buddha and showing really sort of fully formed relationships in that way and i freaking love that Mm. And video game uh, is a medium that has not been, pro- you know, that progressive traditionally, right? It's very, traditionally, very it's a very macho, yeah. manly, it's all about the guns and the violence and the killing. And so to have, to combine the two elements 
and have all this quite subversive, progressive stuff in, as well as the flamethrowers and the machine guns. Because even down to you know Abby's body type. We, mm. When do you see that in video games? Yeah. Almost never. Um, but it really sort of works for that character and then sort of informs her character as well. As I say, she she she's done that because, and we know this from the flashback we get years ago um, about, um, which, which shows her with her father and shows her sort of obviously a lot younger, but her physique is completely different. Mm. It's only after that event that she's trained herself, you know, I'm going after Joel, I need to... to be ready for him uh, and that is why we get her physique in the way we have and it's a really underrepresented body type but it's very welcome here I, I thought it was awesome yeah when you go when you cut back to her before she's bulked up you yeah know, it, it's it's you could only do that in a video game really i guess you could do it with cg like captain america but um or just hire Christian Bale, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it, 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 it is an, it is incredible, and she does, and, and that they make a they make a point of that, and it works on two levels, doesn't it? It works because it differentiates her gameplay style from Ellie. Like she plays like Joel, she, like she hits like a truck. She's less agile. She doesn't have the knife, uh, but when she hits them, it really, she doesn't need it. She doesn't need the knife. Um, so yeah, it's it's a different way of playing, and I think that's nice the way they mix up the two parts of it there. But you mentioned the violence briefly there, and. The question I would have for you, some people have, you know, described this as kind of like torture porn. It's too graphic. It's too unpleasant. Did you think the violence went too far or did you think, you know, it serves a story and it was necessary? Yeah, I, I think it definitely goes far, but I, I, don't, I wouldn't say too far. I thought the Joel um, scene was the most shocking for mm. me. And you don't really um, see an awful lot of that. Like it cuts away. It's not, and like, it's not an overly gory scene. It's emotionally upsetting, but you don't see a lot. No, and I mean, there's there's the scene where is it Nora that she that Ellie yeah, is kind of has to torture to get the information Which out. Which you of don't her. see either, but it's... and you don't see yeah. it, but it feels. <laughs> and then when and then when when you see Ellie walk through uh, into the cinema and the theater and she's got the blood all over her, yeah, it so it doesn't it it could be a lot more gratuitous, but it definitely is bleak and it definitely is brutal. Yeah, you know, I think um um when uh, what's his face oh, I can't remember his name the guy who gets shot in the in the the head by Abby. Oh, uh, what, Jesse? Jesse, or Tommy? No, Jesse. No, no Jesse. No, it was Tommy. Well, Tommy gets shot. Oh, yeah, they both no, get Jesse, shot in the yeah. face, but Jesse yeah. dies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, Jesse, I, that, that, that hit me hard. Yeah. That, that was quite... Because it's so throwaway, isn't it? He's just, oh, and he's dead. Mm. I think that was the point why I messaged you, James. I was like, there's a bad idea to form an emotional attachment <laughs> to anybody in this game. It's just... Oh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that that's that's a hell of a moment. I think the violence is pretty extreme, but even going down to the the way the stealth kills are played out, like the way she like carves their throats open, and then you upgrade her stealth kill, and then it's a quick and we slice the carotid artery, and then a stab in the heart, like becomes ruthlessly efficient. Um, but it is, I mean, it, it's quite full on. But I do think it's necessary, and I think like Ellie's descent into darkness and what she becomes in this, or what she nearly becomes in this, because she kind of pulls back from the brink at the very very end, which get onto but what she's kind of turning into i think you need that level of of unpleasantness to make it land otherwise it doesn't have teeth there's kind of the the violence of passion which is can be very you know brutal and horrible but i the stuff that's really stuck with me and kind of haunts me is the the way they depict just the organized violence of the people crucified or at the end hanging up on the things yeah, and their entrails and the, ripped and out the, yeah and the rat the rattlers caging people and, and stuff like that which is just so kind of pessimistic about where yeah. we would go as a society were things to fall apart that these evil groups would form and i think it's it's brilliantly portrayed it's like really stuck with me because you remember they showed footage i think it was at e3 a number of years ago where they showed some footage from the game and they showed the cinematic of 
Abby being hung. And obviously no one had a first clue who Abby was. A really odd piece of footage to show, actually, because A, it was focused on Abby, and B, it showed you the clipping of Yara's wings, which is, I would say, oh. the most explicitly unpleasant moment in the game. And that seemed like a very odd thing to showcase because it was mm. obviously going to draw criticism because it mm. is deeply unpleasant. It is almost torture porn. That, mm. that was an odd choice. Yeah, I'd blocked that one out of my mind. Thanks for that. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Uh, it's, uh, it's, not, it's not a fun moment. Not a fun moment. But no. um, let's talk about. So we get we go through Seattle. Seattle is obviously very different to the the mixed uh, American topography that we get in the first game. Uh, the weather obviously plays a large part in this one here. We've gone through our little mm. mini open world bit at the beginning. We work all the way through this through a number of set pieces. We get to that moment where she eventually, where Ellie's in the boat, the storm, which is sort of part metaphor, part real storm, as she's heading to the aquarium. <laughs> she gets in there and she finds Owen and Mel. And I think the moment when she kills them, that <sighs> that is a, I mean, again, it's not overly explicit, but the way she kills it and then pulls back the coat and sees that she's pregnant. And I think that's the moment where you see Ellie's like, what the fuck have I become? Yeah, now it, it's compounded by, you know, you mentioned it uh, a few minutes ago, she goes back to the hideout and she is traumatized. And yeah, that is just one of many, many, heavy moments and yeah in the, in the moments where i wasn't playing the game my first playthrough like oh it just i like you i couldn't stop thinking about it and it was just yeah it was really really heavy but again i i don't i don't think it was gratuitous because because you have moments like you know her reacting to it the way she did um it really sort of highlights what the violence is doing to her. Gratuitous violence is just like violence for the sake of violence mm. sake. And I don't think there's any of that really uh, in this, in the game. She was going to give up at that point, right? They were going to go back to Jackson um, without finding yeah, Abby. I, th I think she was point. done. But she leaves yeah. the map behind very noticeably. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because like Tommy comes back and uh, so they, you know, together agree that, you know, we're going to leave it the way it is. They're going to go back. But then, um, Abby finds them and things take her another time. <laughs> yeah, but that's that's a hell of a bold move, isn't it? You've got to that point in the game, you've got the climactic face-off between Abby and Ellie, and then it cuts. And then suddenly you're Abby and you're like, oh, and like the revulsion. Like I was like, the <laughs> last thing in the world I wanted to be doing was controlling fucking Abby. But mm. it's actually very smart that it's a flashback and it's her as a teenager and it's her going to save a fucking zebra. Do you know what I mean? Like it's like, it's yeah. really low key and it keys you into the sympathy quite early before bringing you to Abby the wolf. I'm glad they found a way to top the giraffe uh, from the first one. I was, I was, part of me was wondering, is it going to be the same giraffe? Um, yeah. I don't know. What did you got? What animal did you guys think it was going to be? <laughs> I, di I didn't see a zebra coming. I'll be you honest didn't with you. Spend a lot of no, I the zebra, zebra. The zebra was amazing. Like the very good zebra. Yeah. Very good. I, I, I thought they slightly missed an opportunity for a zombie shark in this game. You know, you're spending hours in, a, in an aquarium. If it had been Resident Evil, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, they would absolutely had to shotgun a zombie shark. In my mind, it was an it was going to be an elephant. But, you know, zebra works too. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, but they really twist the knife with that scene, don't they? With the, 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 the dads and yeah. you're slowly yeah, yeah. realising he's a medical guy. And you guy realize and you killed 
her dad like, like yeah. you shot him in the face mm. and i don't know if you yeah. guys remember like when you first did that scene in the last first part you were going to that room like i was joel at that point i had become joel so completely i don't think i even <laughs> let the surgeon finish his sentence before i shot him in the face and then i shot the two other doctors again without even thinking twice about it because i was like you're trying to kill ellie fuck you all and it, that was a really polarizing scene for a lot of people like a lot of people wrestled with that scene a lot of people didn't yeah. agree with it they didn't like it they didn't feel he should have killed the doctor um and i think because that was the most controversial scene in the first game it makes absolute sense that this entire sequel hinges on that decision that he made in that moment i mean it, it just get, makes you start thinking about all of the uh, probably five thousand people you kill in this game and each of them <laughs> has their own each of them has their own story well, i mean that weirdly the dogs like really hit me hard yeah. like I, I was killing those dogs and i hated those dogs and then suddenly you're looking after one of them and petting it and, and throwing it a ball and it's like you motherfuckers you know exactly what you're doing right now and that, that I mean, is genius because when alice jumps at you and you're ellie you're like Fuck, die die and then there's a whole backstory for alice the dog and it's it's horrible that only half worked for me like with, 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 with the dogs and stuff it was definitely i felt all the emotions you felt nick and more but <laughs> you know they, they try and sort of um have everyone have their story to a point in that you know if you kill someone they'll call out their name and all that sort of stuff at the end of the day this is still a game and to progress in this game i need to do what i need to do <laughs> after a certain point i wasn't as affected by it especially if you know i tried to be stealthy and they killed me and you know, if that happens once or twice or three times i'm like you know what forget you i, I don't even care i don't i hate you now you're going to die <laughs> so so yeah, yeah but yeah, I, I i did appreciate the effort to try and make us uh, care more about everybody mm -hmm. um that's something which uh, as much as i like the uncharted series that the, that those games don't do that um and i appreciated the effort but it didn't it didn't all the way work nathan drake <laughs> is a stone cold sociopath i mean i he love really i love those games but the body count is nuts and wow. then he has a cutscene where he's having a beer with sully and you're like you've just murdered four thousand people you fucking maniac like yeah. i mean those games have the, yeah. the, there's an underlying um kind of issue at the heart of those games that you just go this is fun so i'm not going to think about it but yeah the uncharted body counts yeah. are insane and every time i finish one i usually go that is insane this guy would be locked <laughs> up he would be a traumatized he would be in therapy for the rest of his life but he's not and um because it's a video game you have to have the body count otherwise it's not fun but i, I really like that yeah. they've tried to wrestle with that very thing yeah. in these games mm. it doesn't always work you know there's a lot of dialogue in this game about the because they apply it not just to Abby's gang and Ellie's crew, but it's Scars and the Wolves as well, that they try and show that actually this war has escalated for out of this tiny little thing, but neither side is in the wrong. Neither side is particularly evil. They're just reacting to something that someone else has done and getting revenge for it, and that's how these situations arise. But then you get to the Scars Island, and they're all like <laughs> running around <laughs> chanting stuff, and they're not particularly humanised, and so you don't really feel that bad for killing a hundred of them. they're farming, you know, they're living an arable lifestyle, there are kids and stuff, you know. <laughs> but they're also just terrifying. I they're mean, doing yes, those they're, whistles. They're clearly <laughs> lunatics, but... <laughs> you know, she will protect us. Lunatics with farming in their minds. They are lunatics that have good farming skills, yes. and I admire them and respect them for that. Um, but they, they do. I mean, there is a kind of uh, a slight clash in them trying to do what say say that message with the game, but at the same time, 
making it really fun to kill people. Yes, it is. And it I, is that's, quite satisfying, isn't it? <laughs> it's incredibly satisfying. <laughs> Shooting a dog with an arrow is just really fun in this game. But, yeah, um, I'm not sure uh, what that says but, about Sniping with arrows is one of my favourite things to do when I'm in the grass. Just like, but can't see me. The way they do the motion capture. I mean, like I played this game through and then I played The Last of Us remastered through and now i've started this one again but the last of us looks almost like rudimentary by comparison in terms of just graphically oh, in terms yeah. of graphical fidelity like they didn't have like proper facial mocap then like the facial expressions on the characters in this game are unreal the emotions they convey the micro expressions i mean it really does help you understand and empathize with them it's uh, it's a hell of a thing now We've, we've talked about, uh, obviously, becoming Abby. A lot happens. We spend a lot of time with Abby. We spend half the game being Abby. Uh, and we meet Lev <laughs> and Yara, as we talked about in that rather gruesome scene. And it's like it's through Lev, isn't it, that Abby... Because Abby's like the mirror of Ellie, isn't he? Like, Ellie is descending into this place where she wants to get vengeance. And Abby is someone who's already been there. She has hit rock bottom. She has achieved her vengeance. And now she feels really shitty about it. And she's trying to kind of she's got red in her ledger if you will and she's trying to erase <laughs> that she's trying to redeem herself she does that through taking care of lev and yara like this is her redemption arc she's trying to trying to make amends for it all and i think that's why you love lev so much like he's her little conscience and he's the one who stops her from killing dina as well lev is yeah. great oh i mean although they kept they kept referring to lev and yara as kids and children but they didn't look like children to me they looked like adults to me I know Lev Slightly. looks Lev about a bit like a kid. Yeah, he looks about Yara, sixteen or so, not, doesn't he? Not so, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, Yara seems a little bit older, but uh, mm. it's often hard to tell. I think it's certainly in games, it's not necessarily hard to tell how what the what the age range is uh, is yeah. in these. Just just as a sort of additional point to your uh, sort of comment about Abby's redemption, which I love. I love how both Abby and Ellie, their fathers, guide them to. The right to do the right thing mm. in very subtle ways. Like, I think um, the whole reason Abby goes after Lev is because she has that dream where she sort of sees her father sort of telling her, you know, you, you gotta go, you gotta, you gotta go save these people. And in that final fight with Ellie, she has that flash of Joel yeah. um, telling her, you know, you know, again, guiding her towards the path of redemption. And I just, that's subtle storytelling in the mm. best way. I freaking love that. Because Abby's arc is essentially Joel's, isn't it? Like, she's become Joel. And that's and w when she's looking after Lev, she has found redemption through looking after... She's basically become Joel. Uh, and that's, I think... I'm not sure that, that Ellie has the, you know, objectivity to see that, but she does see something. Mm -hmm. um, but, it's, but it's a bold move, isn't it? That you see that confrontation at the end of Seattle Day 3, and then you get Abby's whole sequence. And then when we come back to that moment, we come back to that confrontation, and you're not Ellie... Your Abby, your Abby tr fighting Ellie, and that's an incredibly bold move in that confrontation. Yeah. It's a great bit of storytelling, though, just the filling in the gaps because you're like, okay, now what's the island they mentioned? You know, because they mentioned the island very early on. Abby's gone to the island, and so you're waiting to see what that is. But the story is so much bigger than I expected it to be, and takes so many meandering twists and turns. I just thought it was genius because you had no idea how she's going to track them to the cinema. There's so many questions that you're just left with. And I just thought yeah. it was brilliant. Like I, I was totally engrossed in the whole of Abby's journey, mm. even though I occasionally hated her. When I tell you that when the perspective shifted, like criticisms were immediately forming in my brain. <laughs> this game has pacing issues, cutting from a really intense moment to something else entirely. Four stars, was like, I, I, it, was, it was that type of thing. It took me a while um, to really click with Abby. I think the moment, there were two moments that really sold it for me. 
one where she uh, is very, very high up trying <laughs> to cross that bridge with Lev. I love that she's afraid uh, of heights. To get into the building. Yeah, that's mm. good. Yeah, I'm also afraid of heights, so I, you know, I empathize with that, believe me. And then the really, the moment that really sold it is when uh, Yara's just been killed and sort of, Lev sort of says, like, you know, your, pe- your people just killed Yara and then Abby's like, you're my people. Mm. Oh, yeah. that's a great line. That's mm. a great moment. And that is what really sort of sold me in the connection between those two and made me want to, you know, I think at that point, I was like, crap, I, I like Abby somehow. <laughs> After everything that's happened. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, just really impressive storytelling. But this is what makes yeah. the ending so hard. You've come to love both of these characters, which is an, incre- an incredible feat to make you do that. Uh, and and yeah. I was... I was if it had ended when Abby, because so Abby lets Ellie go at Lev's request, doesn't kill Dina, lets Ellie go, and Ellie returns to the farm, and you have that beautiful sequence there. And I think it's clear at that point she's got PTSD. When you see her in the barn, when she's having flashes, she has full-on post-traumatic stress. So she can't, it's not a case of her, like I imagine therapists are in quite short supply in the apocalypse. So she can't continue with her life. Like she has to carry on with it. She has to see it through or there will be no peace for her. So you do get that beautiful epilogue in Santa Barbara, which I was very here for. Cause I was like, yes, more Ellie, more game. Give me all the game. Um, but let's, let's talk about, I mean that I would argue that's, that's one of the bleakest parts of it. Just the idea of the slavery yeah, of it, the, but- the rattlers, all of that. It's nasty. Yeah, they don't. I mean, they don't fully, unless I miss stuff because I wasn't reading all the letters. Um, <laughs> which is probably, uh, I don't think they fully fleshed out the world of the rattlers no, and don't. what they're doing to people. Do they like it's, it's implied? It's implied. They trade in slaves, I, I yeah. think there was like a sexual kind of implication to when they were talking about when they catch Ellie. But um, yeah, they're nasty. They're nasty bastards. Definitely, that's established very quickly. Um, but yeah, they're I love the that. only humans you want to kill. Yeah. And I love the way it lets you kill them in the worst way, where you can set clickers on them by unchaining them. That's like. <laughs> Yes, yeah. kill them all. <laughs> that was very Walking Dead. I think that more than any any other part of Last of Us yeah. felt it was kind of like the um, you know the governor or whatever. It felt like they were some bad yeah. group of Walking Dead characters. Very much um, so. I was just going to say that the, the post traumatic stress of, um, you're talking about earlier, James, with Ellie. I think Abby has that to a much less degree. I think it's, it's the, I know I, I completely get where you're coming from, Nick, and saying that you you wonder if uh, showing Abby so early was not a great move, but from what I remember of that of that scene, she can't sleep. Yeah, and that you know, again, the similarities between Abby and Ellie yeah. are right there because she can't sleep. She can't uh, get with Owen. She has to kill Joel. Um, Ellie can't sleep. Can't stay with Dina. She has to kill Abby. They're just on different stages of the same journey, which I think is really great. Yeah. yeah. Um. But but yeah, the the rattlers are the only humans you want to kill and uh, the fact that they give you a silent submachine gun to do it is awesome game on game on yeah I was absolutely terrible at that last set piece I got killed so many times I was hiding behind barrels and, yeah. can I just say I could put in this in like a weekend I did yeah I thing. don't I know how, you, how did you do this in a weekend I do not understand I'm good it. at video games Nicholas did you just um, have to curl up in a, in a corner like on Sunday night and just sort of look, look. Literally, I sort of said in in like a week in advance of like any family member. I put it on Twitter. <laughs> like, do not try and contact me. Do not try and message me. Phone me. Email me. All you're gonna get is out of office. I'm gonna be playing The Last of Us, eating, sleeping, and then playing The Last of Us. That is what I did for like two days. <laughs> it was glorious. And you read all the letters. 
Most of them. Most of them. <laughs> <laughs> I, I opened every drawer. I raided every cupboard. I read every letter. You wrote a few letters. I wrote you left some them in drawers. Them, yes. yeah. <laughs> That'd be amazing if there was a multiplayer where you could write little letters and leave them around. Corresponding with dead wolves. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, just out of nowhere, I've just remembered what happened to Shimmer the horse. Oh, Shimmer blown up. Yes. Oh, poor just Shimmer. Yeah. Shot in the head, right? Well, I think well, it was blown up and then shot in the head. It's an explosion. Well, yeah, but then then yeah, one of the wolves oh, shoots, yeah, shoots, yeah, shoots yes, in the head. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're that's right. right. But, um, bloody hell. Yeah, that really hit me as well. I got quite attached to that bloody horse. Unbelievable. Yeah. Honestly, uh, honestly. Yeah, a definite step up from Callus, the horse in the uh, in the first game. But uh, <laughs> so, so the ending, that final ending, when Ellie goes down to the beach, having killed the shit out of all the rattlers, and you see Abby strung up on that post. She's emaciated. She's hair's all been cut off. Like she looks ill, and you wonder what's going to happen there, don't you? Like is and because Ellie cuts her down, and then she and Abby has that moment where she looks at Ellie and she's a bit like, "What's happening here?" And she goes to check on Lev. And then she's like, and she's very tentative. She says, oh, there are boats towards the beach. And kind of Ellie doesn't say anything. And you get there. And then Ellie has that moment where she's getting into her own boat. And you think she's going to let them go. And she sees that flash of Joel. Joel all bloodied and beaten. And she's like, I can't let you go. And it's like, what was going through your mind at that point? Don't do it. No, get in the boat, you idiot. Ellie, what Just- are you doing? <laughs> get in the boat. Gosh. The, the sound design in that scene is so great as well. Because when they... Finally, to start fighting, there's a big, and then they start, and it just, it's so, it's like all my heavy feelings were in that sound design with that moment. is is really great, but yeah, um, to- you just at that point you're just begging Ellie to make the right choice, and when she doesn't your heart just sinks. And that's a staggering like, achievement, right? To get to the climax yeah. of a video, get a triple A video game and have the player begging there not to be action, right? Because that's the whole yeah. point of video games. Yeah. You buy them to do the action. And, and if you told me that was going to happen sort of four hours in when Joel's just been killed, I would have laughed in your face. <laughs> the, mm. Uh, mm. the fact that you don't want Ellie to kill Abby after the first what happens, after what happens in the first two hours mm. in this game is just incredible it is yeah, yeah. it's it's an yeah. incredible thing but i yeah. also understand why people found it difficult and i think you know i don't want to generalize too much about the demographic of video game players but it does require you know uh, a willingness to go along with this story that they've read and a willingness to embrace a level of kind of uh, emotional maturity and a level of i think um of moral ambiguity to kind of reject the fact that there are moral absolutes and to look at this and say look everyone is just a person and people are complicated and and you look at this Absolutely. and when she lets abby go she makes the right decision and i think it's a lovely touch that the new game plus home screen shows the boat on the beach of catalina mm. so clearly mm. yeah. abby has gone to catalina she's found the fireflies and her and lev at least continue that way do you think um do you think ellie go what do you think ellie does in your mind do you think she goes to tommy i think she probably goes back not. to jackson because where else would she go and i think, do you think so? dina's probably there because where else would I she be i didn't feel like there was that close because i think i think there would be a problem with her going back to jackson because tommy is hell-bent on revenge as well and i do not think tommy would understand if ellie said i found abby and i didn't kill her I think that, but that she's been off two of my fingers, so it's all good, and I can't play the guitar. <laughs> yeah, anymore. I, 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 I think Tommy would yeah. would not accept that. You know, he's given up his marriage. Like that was a really mm. um, tragic element of the story as well. That's just kind of bubbling mm. away in the background. You know, even when he gets her that that brilliant gift uh, from Seattle, <laughs> that she's yeah. still that that marriage is 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 kaput. You know, it's got this festering thing in the middle of it, and it just fell apart. Um, and it's all about the this game is all about the corrosive 
um, power of anger. Like yeah. If you have that anger yeah. inside you, it will melt everything away. It will destroy everything like acid. So I, I don't think, I can't see Ellie having a future in Jackson, personally. I think she's going to wander. I don't think, yeah, I, I partially agree with that. I, I don't think Ellie goes back to Jackson. Whether she has a future there, I would say yes, ultimately, but she needs to do a lot of self-healing before she's ready to sort of go back. But especially the, the, the last sort of shot that we see of her is sort of her leaving the guitar. I think she's on the road to closure. Mm, she's letting Joel go. For Joel. Mm. Yeah. But she needs to, she still needs to wrestle with the decision that Joel made for her and sort of decide, you know, she, she went from that to finally being in a position to be ready to forgive Joel for that to now having to go on this quest. She needs to sort of figure out what she wants to do with her life and find purpose again before she's ready to accept Dina and the, ver the cutest game kid I've ever seen in my life mm -hmm. um, <laughs> back Super into cute. her life. But yeah, now I, you know, we were talking about sort of how negative or, or how divisive this game was. And I do get it from this standpoint in that gaming more often than not is meant to be an escape. This is not really an escape. This is more like a training <laughs> manual for the next few years, given where we're at right now. Um, so yeah, I've already I, started I, opening every drawer. Yeah, yeah. I'm making bombs <laughs> out of scissors. Around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what are the scissors? Jane, I never understood. I, I, I know that you. I know that you were already re ready with like your survival kit. So this is just yeah. like you know. James has got a yeah. James has got a backpack stuffed with rags. Yeah. <laughs> I always keep alcohol, rags, sugar, explosives on me at all times. <laughs> And gaffer tape, <laughs> lots and lots of tape. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but yeah, I, I get it from that standpoint um, because, you know, this this is definitely, you're, you're wrestling with a lot here and, you know, to to dive from, you know, a world which is you know, our world and, you know, messed up as it is to a world which is even more messed up. I get why people had a hard time with yeah. that. No, I do too. Mm. Uh, it, it, it doesn't shock me. But we get a gift at the end of this, don't we? Like, we get a final flashback. Uh, a flashback which actually shouldn't be that surprising. So if you go all the... What we get is we get to... We understand that Ellie... Because the flashbacks have been beautiful because they've not only broken up the pacing, but they filled out the backstory of what happened between part one and part two. And gradually, and I think that the first switch that it gives you is that idea that she's known all along that he killed the Fireflies. And so... All of this, you think, oh, she has no idea why this has happened. She's looking for answers. She's not looking for answers. Mm. She knows exactly why this has happened. She just doesn't give a fuck, and she wants revenge. <laughs> um, and the fact that you see that even despite her finding out, even even despite her essentially saying her and Joel were through, at the end you see that she had decided to forgive him. She decided to try and forgive him. But obviously, if you go back to the very beginning when she's having that conversation with Dina, and she said, what are you doing tonight? She said, I'm going to watch a movie with Joel. So clearly they'd made up anyway, so we should have known that from the start. Yeah, yeah that, that strange like action franchise yeah. that, that you what? see the poster for occasionally. <laughs> what was it called? I can't remember. remember. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a weird thing. Yeah, they've got sort of imaginary movie posters all the way through these games. Mm. But yeah, they have PlayStations. Yeah. So do they have PS3s? Different... <laughs> yeah, there's an Uncharted yeah, reference do. in this game as well, right? There's a copy of Uncharted 2 on yeah. the table. So you have our games in this world, but you have totally different movies because presumably they can't get the license. For like yeah. Two yeah, they, they can license their own games. They can't license other shit. Right. Um, okay. Maybe Nova Drake's a real person in this world. Maybe he is. Well, you get his ring. Um, no, his ring is in the bank vault. Oh, yes. Yeah. Really? That ring, yeah. The Latin yeah. on it is the name open... of the main uh, Uncharted theme. Which I can never remember, but yeah. it's... Uh, Sick Harvest yeah, that's yeah. There yeah. we go. So that's Boom. what's written on the Boom. ring. 
Greatness yeah. from small beginnings. Yes, good man. Um, Amon drops the Latin bombs. <laughs> so Nathan Drake is a, so Nathan Drake is a real person in this world. So we may team up with him in Last of Us Part Three. It's canon. It's canon. It's going to happen. I would. I would. would I think. Play. Yeah. I think the Last of Us Part Three should be all about Shimmer's uh, son, the small horse who is on a mission of revenge. Wow. It's taking Warhorse literally. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's funny though, isn't it? That the one of the last things they show you is they show you the. The quite late in the game, they they show, is it at the very end they show you the dance with Dina and the kiss with Dina? Is it at the very end? It's really late in the game, I know that, and obviously that's the footage that we'd seen before because that was E3 footage, uh, and we see that quite late. But I think that's it's yeah. nice because it, it yeah. even though it's quite bleak, it ends with a moment of positivity to it, and it doesn't have that ambiguous ending necessarily that the first one has. It's much more there's much more closure, I think, at the end of this one. Um, but did you feel satisfied yeah. at the end of yeah. it? Did it do it for you? Would you've done anything differently? <sighs> I mean, I, I was, yeah, I, I was, mean, I was definitely satisfied. I, you know, it's a whole lot of game. Like it is a lot of game. It, it took, took me a day or two to process just how much stuff happens, how much shocking stuff happens, how many emotional twists there are, how many interesting characters there are. Um, you know, I think I texted you quite early on, James, when I was like three or four hours in. I was like, hey, I'm not sure. The first one was a road trip, and it was across America, yeah. and you had the different seasons. And this one, you're just in Seattle, and it feels smaller. But um, I thought they did a brilliant job of uh, of of making that one location massive, mm. feel massive, and and the sky bridges. The sky bridge was totally unexpected. I was like, this is crazy, and I never saw it. Mm. But then you do actually, if you're down on the ground and you look up, you can see them between some of the buildings. So they were there all the time. Um, but yeah, I just thought I thought it delivered on every level. I mean, the the, the emotional uh, level definitely, but the action level maybe there could have been a bit more zombie zombie stuff. It feels like the zombies were very sidelined. Well, you had the Rat King. They had a zombie boss the, in this one. This is what I was gonna say. Gosh, that was scary. So if you, if you were to have a, have a camera on me during like, my first playthrough on that, I think I, I, I had a very loud, audible, holy shit. And, you know, again, I had to turn uh, the brightness way up on my TV to deal with that because it was too frightening and too dark. <laughs> that Rat King sequence gave me newfound appreciation for people in high pressure huh. situations, because I, you know, I, I think of like you know Game of Thrones and you know that that moment where like you're trying to get you, you want the kids to like do serpentine and you know dodge the arrows. I don't know if I'd have the peace of mind <laughs> to do that now because you know the what, the amount of times I died in that Rat King sequence from just like losing my shit and just you know going through all my weapons. What do I do? How do I kill this thing? Um, that was the sweatiest my palms got. The whole of that hospital was squeaky bum time, wasn't it? Like, it was the, the, quite I, I, it really Yeah, was. I would say action-wise, definitely the best part of the game was from the sky, from the Skywalk Bridge down, down to... Down through the apartment when building. You're, when you're going... When you're going down, 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 down yeah. every level, down to the ground, and then you keep going down into the basement across the road and down into the hospital, and it just felt like a descent into hell because yeah. every le- every level gets scarier and scarier. And yeah. uh, I did not want to be an asshole. I was like, I, guys, go to Superdrug. Like, there's got you know, to be a better option. This is not a good option. Like, to get some bandages, like, there's got to be a better way. Surely, surely you know. there's boots that's closer that you can just go Honestly, honestly, um, yeah. yeah. That's amazing. Weirdly, my favourite sequence in the whole game i honestly think is uh one of the flashbacks the museum sequence when joel and ellie go to oh. the museum and there's no action of any kind uh he just goes there they have those wonderful gags where brilliantly written where they're riffing on jurassic park and how <laughs> steven spielberg changed the names <laughs> of the velociraptors and he's like uh, oh yeah there was a sequel wasn't as good and it's just like it's beautiful <laughs> moments, putting her hat on the different dinosaurs and then when you have that beautiful moment when they get in the the space and she relives the launch of the of the rocket mm-hmm. uh, and it's just just beautiful 
beautiful Joel Eddie bonding time, and it really cements the relationship between those two. And I think it's it's a massive credit to Naughty Dog that that sequence, which has no action, it's just two characters wandering around a museum and chatting to each other, which sounds so mm. mundane, is so engaging. Mm. It's magical, yeah. That's the great line. What does yeah. it smell like in there? Space. <laughs> when she's in the shuttle. And originally, uh, I, was, I don't know if Trotman mentioned this, but originally there was a, a uh, there was an action scene in there. We know when the boar kind of runs yeah, at her. Yeah, yeah. Originally, you were yeah. going to have to like chase down the boar and kill it. And he said, you know, we actually animated it and then decided it slowed everything down. But you don't need it. You don't need the action. It's... Uh, mm. It's just brilliant. It's it the mood change from this magical thing to seeing the writing on the yeah, wall and it getting sinister. darker and darker. Mm. And great. then seeing Doesn't that it was a Firefly who'd written it, like that's quite poignant as well. It's uh, mm. yeah, it's very well thought through. I've, There's quite a lot of stuffed animals in yes. this uh, in this game. <laughs> There's a lot of taxidermy. Yeah, yeah. Last one. Last I one. I feel like this is as good a time as any to talk about Ashley Johnson. And Laura Bailey, yeah, and Troy we Baker haven't mentioned and that. Shannon Woodward, and just how fantastic these guys are. And you know, it, it bothers me anytime I see sort of you know death threats and what have you, and you know actors being subjected to that. But even more so in this case, because I've sort of watched interviews with these guys, and you think that we're attached to these huh. characters? We're not attached to these characters on the same level that Ashley Johnson and Troy Baker and Laura Bailey are. And, you know, they put their all into these performances and it really, really shows. Like, even in that final flashback we get with um, Ellie and Joel, the choice of restraint there, um, because I think I've read in sort of uh, other interviews how initially that was meant to end with a hug and they were meant to be more emotional, but, you know, the actors decided actually, no, it shouldn't, it shouldn't be that way. And it sort of plays better because of it um there's so many little choices like that which you know you only get from knowing how to collaborate with these amazing performers and you know, they do an incredible mm. job and the acting is yeah. extraordinary like it's absolutely like big screen level performances yeah like absolutely. you were saying james the fact that they actually the, the actors get to have input into mm. the lines the dialogue the moments i mean it definitely transcends what you think of when you think of video game performances i, I would watch a very long documentary about the making of this i'd be fascinated did you guys see the um, the image of uh, how they did the rat king where they tied three people together <laughs> And for the mocap, no. yeah, have a look at wow. Google it because it's fascinating. They they tied three dudes together. One of them is upside down, and they're all tied together like running yes. around this room um, with gym mats. And it, it's even that is frightening. Yeah, it's it, it is nice. You know, like Ashley Johnson. You remember Ashley Johnson was in Avengers. She was in the Avengers. Like yeah, yeah. Like, and she, but she was <laughs> going to be Cap's love interest in future films. Like, she was being teed up for that. And in the end, they used Emily Van Camp. Um, but uh, mm. but yeah, she, though she was going to have a larger role in those. But she is so fucking good in this. All of that. Troy Baker is amazing in this. Uh, and and Shannon Woodward, mm. Laura Bailey as well. Just incredible performances across the board and i think you know it's it's tribute in part to the quality of the reproduction of these characters and the skill that the developers have done in making it and the performances those two things working together to give you these incredibly believable characters uh that are entirely within this within this game engine it's it's nuts but um Right, before we wrap up, is there anything else anyone wishes to say? Amon, are you going to whip out a guitar and give us a brief uh, a brief ditty for us? <laughs> you should be so lucky, yeah. James. No, but I will say the score by Gustavo Santolala and Matt yeah. Quayle is fantastic. Is. And you know, I was reading sort of an interview with Gustavo, and he was talking about his process. And maybe it's because I got, um, well, first of all, I'll say, 
he said that his in his process he starts scoring before sort of you know seeing anything. He 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 scores and his music informs the script rather than the script sort of informing mm. the music, and it really shows. Um, and it's it reminds me of sort of the you know now side of departed and Ennio Morricone who had the same sort of process, and when you have when you collaborate with people who know how to use that in the edit, or in this case, you know, in, in the game, it really shines through. Um, so there's, there's a few parts where it's just, it's, the scenes are almost driven by mm. music. Um, and in those you know, moments, it's just, it's and, just great. And some so, of the scenes are quite so, literally yeah. driven by music, like the prologue where Joel gifts Ellie the guitar. And you get that lovely moment in the, in the, in the music shot where she plays Aha to Dina on the guitar as well. Like music is a real thread through this. It's like part of the fabric of the game. It's, it's no stairway. That's yes. a Wayne's World reference. No stairway to heaven. There was a sign on the wall when she was playing. <laughs> then, if you saw it, uh, and James, you have purchased a guitar I did. and are learning to it's play guitar based on this true. game. Like See, the music in this game, the guitar playing in this game is so it's such a part of it. It like it really made me want to play the guitar. So I literally went out and bought a guitar on the strength of playing it in this game, just to to tinker with it. It was. Uh, See, you can't you can't say that now and 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 now not sort of go oh, back definitely guitar not and play something on this podcast. <laughs> Nobody needs an outro. Sing us out. Sing us out. Where to lose yeah, you? I will actually lose myself. <laughs> I will one day work out to that, but I am not there yet. I know about five chords. I don't think I can quite bust that out. Uh, but uh, but yeah, like both Baker and Johnson played guitar on stage during that uh, that uh, one night live thing because they're both good guitar players uh but yeah, yeah good stuff the music is amazing right are we all done my parting thought is just that uh this has put me off whistling for life i was walking uh for a forest yesterday and i heard someone whistling for their dog and i genuinely thought it was a scar an arrow and I was got coming away yeah i genuinely i ducked down and uh did you scurried into a nearby them? hedge uh, yes, well, let's not talk about that one yeah. but um no it's uh it's it's amazing and i cannot wait to play it again and this time I'm going to read the letters. I it is a magnificent game. <laughs> and open all yes. the vaults. Open all the safes. Oh, I, I gave up on the safes quite early on. <laughs> I got all the safes. Right. With that, I think we are, in fact, done uh, with this extra special spoiler special for The Last of Us Part 2. If you enjoyed it, then do head over to glow.fm slash empirefilm and subscribe to the Empire Spoiler Special podcast where you will find even more exciting in-depth podcasts. Uh, recent ones we've done include our multi-part Gangs of London spoiler specials with Corin Hardy and Gareth Evans, our retro spoiler special for Jack Reacher with Chris McQuarrie. Uh, we've done a John Wick retro recently with Chad Stahelski. Uh, there's a King of Staten Island discussion with Judd Apatow, and we also have one for Hamilton coming up very soon as well. The regular Empire podcast drops every Friday with all the latest news, reviews, and general movie nonsense. And if it's small screen recommendations you're after, then the Pilot TV podcast is available for your listening pleasure every Monday as well. In the meantime, though, it is goodbye from Nick DeSamlin. May your survival be long. May your death be swift. <laughs> it is goodbye from Amon Woman. Peace. And it is goodbye from me. I'm off to bust out a maudlin rendition of Take On Me on my guitar. <laughs>